This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, this morning, uh, we will be talking about the great privilege that we have as Christians, as New Testament believers, um, because of the revelation that God has given to us. Um, as Christians, we believe that God is distinct from creation, that, that uh, there was an infinite personal God. By personal, I mean he, he, uh, we can relate to Him as a person. He's not just some indistinct, uh, uh, impersonal being, but he's, he's a personal creator God who created all things, who created the universe that is separate from him. We, we believe that um, we have sinned, that we have, have broken this relationship between God and us because of our disobedience to him, and he rescued us on Christmas. He rescued us on Easter. He rescued us by sending His Son to die in our place. And this morning we're looking at a text that talks about the privilege of revelation. You see, God was revealing Himself from the time of Adam and Eve when He gave a promise that one day he would send a descendant of Eve, back in Genesis 3.15, he would send a descendant of Eve who would crush the head of the serpent, the one who was a liar and a deceiver from the beginning. He, he gave that promise and he continued to reveal himself uh, through prophetic writings. He revealed himself through the writings of Moses. He revealed himself through the writings of, of the prophets who were looking forward to the Messiah who was to come. When God himself, who was distinct from his creation, would then take on human flesh. He, he didn't cease to be God, but he took on human flesh uh, becoming both fully God and fully man, coming and living a sinless life and dying in our behalf and rising again. He didn't just stay dead and it'd be some kind of a spiritual resurrection, but no, he actually physically rose from the dead, pointing to the fact that one of these days, that hope that we talked about last week and the, week, and the la other time that I was here, that hope that we have is that one day we will physically raised from the dead. Not just a, a kind of a, a spiritual existence in a, in, in, a, in, a, in a spiritual realm forever, but we will actually physically be raised from the dead. This is our hope that we have. And as God revealed these things through the prophetic writings throughout the Old Testament, there was an unclarity about it. It wasn't all fully realized. They didn't get the whole picture. And what our text says this morning is that standing on this side of Christmas and Easter, standing on this side of those events in history, 
we have a great privilege because we can see the whole picture that they didn't see in the Old Testament days. Let's look at our text, beginning with verse 10 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Father, we are sinful creatures. We deserve your wrath. We deserve your punishment. And yet you loved us anyway. You loved us so much that you have condescended to speak to us. You have spoken through the prophets. And Lord, you became a man and took on our sin for us. The debt that we could never repay on our own. Father, we pray now that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. I pray that you will help us, Lord, to understand what you have done for us in Jesus. Give me grace and strength as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Concerning this salvation, those three words that he begins with, uh, we want to understand what is he talking about there. Uh, he, he, he had just ended the last sentence that we had ended with last week uh, saying, Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So it's this salvation that we receive from Jesus because of our faith in him. Uh, it's the salvation that's been written about throughout the book so far already. Peter had called these suffering Christians in the midst of, of a, a hostile world, he had called them God's chosen exiles. He, he, calls, he says that they had been saved according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. He, he, God's plan was to save us. It was according to the foreknowledge of God, God the Father. In the sanctification of the Spirit... The Spirit, the, the, the Trinity, we sang about it this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Spirit was the sanctifying agent of salvation. And by sanctifying, that's setting apart. Uh, and, and when He chose to save us, by the foreknowledge of God the Father, He, he used the Spirit. The Spirit was the, the um, applier of salvation. He is the one who actually applies salvation to us. He sanctifies us. He pulls us out of the rest of the world. He, he, he sanctifies us. He sets us apart for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. 
By Je- what Jesus has done, what the Son has done in salvation is that He has washed us clean by His own blood. The, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is what paid for our sins. And now we are no, if we are born again, if we are, are changed, if we, have, if we have been saved by God, He has washed us clean. It's an odd picture. Washed with blood. We get all kinds of weird pictures if we're not familiar with the Scripture. But, but the Old Testament sacrificial system was the, was the idea that something was purified, made ritually pure by the blood of a lamb. And in that sense, uh, believers, when we be, are saved, it's the sacrifice of Jesus that cleanses our conscience, that cleanses us from all sins. I'm backing up to what we were talking, what we've talked about before, because that's the salvation he's talking about in verse 10. It's concerning this salvation. Other things about this salvation. I, I, as I said, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. This isn't talking about some kind of a reincarnation or anything like that, where, where a person is born multiple times in some kind of a secular, circular history. But no, when we are born again, we, 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 have, have, uh, we, we were spiritually dead. We were spiritually dead because of our sin. Our relationship with God has been broken. We're spiritually dead. Although we are alive physically, He changes our hearts. He gives us a new heart. And we begin to live again. And we begin to see with new eyes. And we have new desires for God and for His glory. He's changed us. He's made us new creatures in Him. He's caused us to be born again. That's something we can praise Him about, but that's part of the salvation that He's talking about here. He's caused us to be born again. We have a living hope. We have a hope that though we live in an experience now where we really experience suffering, where we really experience sickness and death and pain and all of those things, we have a hope that one day Jesus is returning again and we're going to be raised from the graves with perfect bodies that will never get sick again, that will never experience pain again, we will never experience the trauma of, 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 the, of this life that we experience now, but we will be perfect. And what God had originally designed for us will be restored. What we had broken by our sin will now be restored to what it was intended to be. This is the salvation that he's been talking about all along. And so whenever he says, concerning this salvation, it's pointing back at that. And he says, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be at yours, searched and inquired uh, carefully. So this is something that's new that happened in Jesus. The Old Testament days leading up to the time that Jesus came, leading up to the time of the incarnation and, and the death of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection, the Old Testament days leading up to that time was a period of prophetic utterances. It was a period where they were looking forward to what was happening. And Peter here is saying, those prophets who lived long ago, they were prophesying about what was happening right now at the time that he lived. 
They were prophesying about the things that were going to happen to Jesus. They prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, talking to these New Testament believers. And they searched and inquired great carefully. There's two ideas there we can think about whenever it says they searched and inquired carefully. Uh, one, they were seeking God. They were pleading with Him for revelation that He might reveal to them about uh, this Messiah that was to come. But also the idea of searching has the idea that I think that the later prophets were actually studying the earlier writings. So you have even Moses. Okay, Moses was considered a prophet. Moses was considered one of the greatest prophets. Though the, the, the Torah, the, the first five books of the Bible, are not prophetic literature, so to speak. They are prophetic Moses was considered a prophet who, who wrote them. And also, they were things that pointed to the Messiah that was to come. You have Genesis 3.15. Again, I'll make reference to it. Genesis 3.15 that, that talks about how it's after the fall, after men and women, had Adam and Eve had sinned, and God places a curse on the serpent, but yet He says, I will put enmity between you and your your seed and her, you and her and her and your seed. Um, I'm trying to do it from memory here. But he promises then that there will be a seed of the woman, a descendant of Eve who will come and crush the serpent's head. He will set things right. Later on in the book of Genesis, you have uh, at, at the very end of the book of Genesis, you, you've got... Um, Joseph, or not Joseph, Jacob, who's blessing all of his 12 sons that he had in the last two chapters of Genesis. He blesses all these 12 sons, and Judah, he says, well, the scepter won't depart from him. So that by the very end of Genesis, you've already got uh, this picture that the Messiah, the seed of the woman, is going to come from the line of Judah. And then later on, you've got the, the uh, former prophets. The ones that, that are, uh, we, we call often historical books. Samuel and Kings and those, those books. We think of them about stories and things like that. We don't often think about them as prophets. But the, Old Testament, or the, uh, the Jewish people consider them part of the pro- prophetic writings. And as part of the prophetic writings, you have in, uh, in uh, 1 Samuel 7, I think it is, or maybe it's 2 Samuel 7. You can check it out for yourself. You've got this promise to David that he would have a son who would sit on his throne forever, and of his kingdom there would be no end. And so even in those historical books, you have these pointers to the fact that one day a son of David was going to come and become king over all of creation forever and ever and ever. That was a prophecy that was in the Old Testament who pointed towards the fact that a son of David, Jesus, the very first thing we see in the book of Matthew as it opens up the first gospel is that Jesus was the son of David who came in fulfillment of those prophecies. Then, you see the Psalms and the writings of Scripture. You see the, the, in the Psalms you have um, Psalm 2, which is often uh, understood to be messianic, but Psalm 22. In Psalm 22, you've got 
the psalmist crying out, My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? And those were the very last, one of the, some of the very last words of Jesus upon the cross. So you've got all of these divisions of the Old Testament, all, even, even if they're not considered prophetic literature, they're all pointing to Jesus, the Messiah that's to come. And then you have what we know as the, the major prophet, prophets, or the, or the uh, I keep my ear, <laughs> or the, uh, the writing prophets, they, they uh, uh, are the ones who we, write, we read their prophecies. And you have people like Isaiah, Isaiah who, pro- who prophesied that one day there would be a child that was born of a virgin. One day there would be a child born of a virgin and his name will be called Emmanuel or God with us. Infinite personal God, creator of all the universe, became a tiny little baby. God with us. Also, uh, Isaiah writes of, a, of um, um, his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father. It, it, um, Prince of Peace, Mighty God. All of those things pointing forward to the Messiah that was to come. Still here within verse 10, it says, The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and his subsequent glories. Who is it that was revealing these things? It says here, the Spirit of Christ. Jesus, born in Bethlehem, 2,000 years ago, right? But he was pre-existent. The Gospel of John tells us that, that uh, the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And then in verse 14, it tells us the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Infinite personal Creator God. Tiny little baby. Who became a human being. It's that God, the Word, the second person of the Trinity, who revealed all of the prophecies that were leading up to Him. Oftentimes, we might get to thinking, well, you might hear someone who says, well, I don't care about what Paul said. Or I don't care about what the Old Testament said. I want to hear what Jesus said, right? You might have heard heard people say that. I I just care, or, or maybe they call themselves red letter Christians, where they care really about what Jesus said, and they can just dispense with the rest of the Bible. But here, we have a text here that says, those Old Testament prophets, it was Jesus that was inspiring them. That same Spirit that inspired the Old Testament inspired the New Testament authors as well. You can't just put Peter against Paul and Paul against the Gospels and what Jesus said. It was the Spirit of God who inspired those authors. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So those Old Testament prophets, Peter is making the claim that they, they predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. 
Some examples of that, you have Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, you have uh, this quotation that you often see in the New Testament that that the New Testament um, apostles realized was about Jesus, but it was coming from the Old Testament. Like a lamb led to slaughter. Uh, He, the iniquity of us all was laid on him. By his stripes we're healed. All of those things. Peter here is making the point, those prophecies of old about his sufferings were, were, had taken place in their day. And the glories to come. Not only do we see prophecies about the sufferings of the Messiah in the Old Testament, we also see the glories to come. In Daniel chapter 7, we see a vision that Daniel had of one like a son of man coming with the clouds. And the Son of Man came before the Ancient of Days, and the Ancient of Days gave to the Son of Man a kingdom and power and authority that would never fade away, that would always be an eternal kingdom that would be no end to. Well, Jesus comes about in His ministry, and what's His favorite thing to call Himself? The Son of Man. you got... Prophecies in the Old Testament about the sufferings of the Messiah, and you've got prophecies like the one in Daniel about the glories that are to follow. It was God's plan, this salvation, that He would send the second person of the Trinity. This, there is unity and diversity within God. He is one God. As Christians, we don't believe in many, many gods, but we believe in one God. And yet, there is distinct personality within the Godhead. It was not the Father that died on the cross. The Father sent the Son. It's not... The the Spirit was not the one who was doing the creating. Though John tells us it was the Word, the, the second person in the Trinity, that did the creating. The Spirit was the one that was sent by the Father and the Son into the world. It was revealed to them they were not serving themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Daniel, another, another example from Daniel. Daniel had visions towards the end of the book of Daniel, and he was asking, when will these things be? What, what is this all? He didn't understand his own visions. And an angel came to Daniel, if you read the book of Daniel, and, and said, seal these things up. These are for latter times. These aren't for your times. These are for later days. And in that... That's an example of how these things were actually revealed to the writers of the Old Testament that these things were not for them, but they were for later times. Therefore, the times when Jesus would actually come. And it says, in the things that they have now announced to you 
through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. We sometimes may, you may get this thought, what did the New Testament, what did the apostles preach? They didn't have the New Testament. They just had the Old Testament, right? So, so they had the Old Testament and then they had the, the stories that they knew from walking with Jesus. But when they preached, you know, you look at Peter's sermon at the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts chapter 2. What is it all talking about? It's pointing to the fact that Jesus was the fulfillment of what happened in, in this promise to David. The gospel, the good news that God has sent his son to restore the relationship that we have with God because of our sin had broken it. God sent his son to die so that we could be forgiven. That was all announced even by the Old Testament prophets. And it was preached by the apostles as they pointed to the scriptures that made that clear. And then it finally says, things into which angels long to look. There are two senses here that I, I think that we can understand this to be so. The plan of salvation. The plan that God had for saving His people was something that even the angels didn't know understand. All throughout history from, from creation on forward, the angels were up there with heaven, with God in heaven. And, and, and some of the things that God was doing must have seemed strange to them. They longed to look. They longed to see Yet they didn't understand the mysteries of, of God's plan. And now the things that had been kept hidden from the angels because of what Christ had done in history were now revealed. We have a great privilege in Revelation. The, these were things that even the prophets who were writing about them didn't understand fully. These were things that even angels longed to look at. And we get to understand the big picture. We get to understand because God has now acted in history. He's given us the New Testament and we can understand what Old Testament believers in the true God never really could fully comprehend. And another sense in which these are things into which angels long to look. Jesus didn't die for the angels. We, it seems that the Scripture tells us that that uh, there, there were angelic beings that fell. You know, Satan himself was understood to be an angelic being. God created him to glorify him, and yet he fell. And many angels with him. You look at Revelation 12, and it talks about this some. Jesus didn't die for the angels. He died for us. Things into which angels long to look. So this morning, as we look at all of this text, I think what comes out and, and what we can see is the fact that we stand in a place of great privilege. We stand on the other side of the cross from 
the Old Testament prophets. And that's another reason why we should praise Him. We praise Him because He's caused us to be born again. We praise Him because He has a a future and a hope for us that we look forward to. We praise Him because He holds us by His power. We praise Him because He can give us joy in the midst of suffering. And we praise Him because we stand in a great privileged position of having revelation. We, our relationship with God because of our sin was severed. It was broken. We could do nothing on our own to try to reach up to God. He had to reach down to us. He revealed Himself through the prophets and in coming ultimately in the form of Jesus Christ to die for our sins and rise again. We have a great privilege and we can praise Him for that.